All right, what's up guys? Good morning. Uh, my name is Grant. I am one of the pastors here at H2O. I'm the guy you saw in the video there. And uh, man, I am so excited to see all of you here this morning. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, just getting to meet so many new people that I know I'm going to become uh, good friends with some of you that are in this room. Um, maybe that I haven't even started talking to yet. And uh, even for those of you that I might not get to know as well, if you're a Christian, we're going to get to spend eternity together. So we'll get to know each other at some point. Um, but as you've made your way here, obviously you've heard about H2O. Maybe you got handed like 10 flyers this week, or you just kind of saw our flag or the Snapchat ads or whatever. Um, and you might be thinking, what is H2O? Why do you guys call it H2O Church? I've gotten that question uh, a lot of times this week as I've been talking to people. So if you've been wondering why we call ourselves H2O Church, you're in the right because you're going to hear why this morning. Um, I'm going to actually preach from a passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, uh, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but before we dive into that, I want you to think of a time that you've been really thirsty. Just think of a time you've been really thirsty. What is it that you felt like uh, during that time? I know uh, this summer we had some really hot spells, so you might not have to think back very long. For me, I think of the student org fair that I was just at. Uh, a couple days ago, I didn't have any water, and I was talking to people. It was hot. It was sunny. And man, I, I was so parched. I wanted to do anything I could to just get a drink of water. And we can all relate to this physical thirst, this idea where our body is telling us, man, you really need to get to something that's able to uh, rehydrate you. But while we're all aware of this physical thirst, I think that's not actually the only kind of thirst that we experience. Like, I believe deeply that God has also created us with a spiritual thirst. And it's, it doesn't necessarily scream at us the same way that our physical thirst does. It's a little bit easier to ignore for a longer period of time. But I would say that it's actually just as important, actually more important, is that physical thirst. It's alerting us to the fact that we need something more than just school or work or parties or whatever else it might be that we're trying to do with our lives. And, you know, Callista was kind of already uh, getting at this in her slice of life, but I believe that that thirst is a thirst to connect with the God who created us, that we were designed for that. And so my prayer this morning is that God would awaken all of us to that thirst. It's a good thirst. Like, I want us to be people that long to connect with the God who made us. And so I want to pray, and then I'm going to dive into a scripture that um, is going to be talking a little bit about this, so... Lord, we love you, and I thank you so much for who you are. God, I just thank you that you're good, and as we sang that song earlier, asking you to uh, be the king of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be the king of our heart here. And Lord, I ask even in this time, as uh, we're going to open up your word and devote ourselves to trying to understand it and later to apply it, Lord, that you'd help us to focus. Um, God, I pray that any sort of distractions that we came in with, any sort of anxiety about class starting tomorrow, any sort of, uh, anything, Lord, that might be distracting us um, from just being able to receive your word. I pray that you'd help us to uh, remove that and focus in on worshiping you today. Um, so, Lord, I thank you that you're here. I just pray that you'd help us to be aware of you. Uh, Spirit, I pray that you'd move in our hearts and make us to be people that are more like you. Uh, so we love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to pick it up here at verse 5, uh, a little journey that Jesus is, is making. 
So you see here, John chapter 4, verse 5. So he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now we're going to stop there. We'll keep on moving a little bit more through this passage as we go on this morning. Uh, but as we work our way through John chapter 4, there's really five key points that I want to draw out for you. And I've even uh, organized them into a little acronym called WELLS that will help you remember what it is that we talked about this morning. But the first thing that I see as we dive in this is that uh, Jesus is talking about this living water. And uh, the offer of this living water is wide. Okay? He's talking to this Samaritan woman. And the first thing we see is that she's surprised that he's talking to her. Well, why is that? There's a couple reasons. First off, the text tells us that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And you might think, why would somebody not want to hang out with Samaritans? All I hear is the word good in front of Samaritan. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. But um, yeah, there's a hospital called Good Samaritan Hospital just down the street here. But if you were a Jew living in that time, that's not exactly how you would have viewed them. The reason we always hear about good Samaritans is because of a parable that Jesus would tell elsewhere in the scripture. Um, but they actually had a lot of bad blood between them. They were distant relatives. But what happened is uh, a long time before the time of Jesus, the uh, Israel, which was God's people, was split into two different groups. Judah, who would become the Jews. And then the ten northern tribes who were conquered by Assyria, they were really wicked, God punished them, and they ended up having to intermarry with all of these other people, and they lost a lot of their cultural identity with that. And as they became two separate nations, they would even sometimes go to war with each other. And so there's, there was bad blood that would develop between Jews and Samaritans. They really did not get along very well together. They didn't like each other. And not only uh, was it surprising that Jesus was talking to this uh, person who was a Samaritan, who he as a Jew would usually not associate with, but it was also surprising because she was a woman. And Jewish rabbis at the time did not teach women. If we were to read on in the text, we would see that his disciples came back, and they were actually surprised to see that he was talking with a woman. And then not only is it surprising to see that he's talking with a Samaritan, that he's talking with a woman, but if you were reading John's gospel, this might kind of take you uh, by surprise as well after seeing who Jesus had just talked to right before this. You see, in John chapter 3, Jesus was uh, speaking with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is the kind of guy that you might expect a Jewish teacher to be speaking to. Nicodemus is what we call a Pharisee, which means that he was a religious scholar and teacher of the law. And uh, Jesus has this conversation with him. It's actually where you get the most famous Bible verse, John 3.16, from that conversation. Um, but now later we shift to almost the exact opposite figure, a Samaritan woman who's kind of an obscure person people don't know about very well. And frankly, as we'll see later in the text, she's not very well respected in the town that she's in. But what's really cool about how John put these two stories together uh, very close to each other in his gospel is that we see regardless of whether you're Nicodemus or whether you're the Samaritan woman, Jesus shows them both that they're not fit for the kingdom of God, but that there's a way that they can enter. 
You see, Nicodemus was a guy that had everything going for him. He knew the law. He externally, at least, did a very good job following it. But Jesus told him, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet, now we see him talk to this Samaritan woman who's almost on the exact opposite side of the spectrum where you might think, she's too bad. Like, there's no way that God would want to interact with a person like this, as we'll see later on. But yet, here Jesus is showing that she's not too far off from God wanting to rescue her as well. And so I don't know what the background is for each of you in here. Some of you might be like Nicodemus. Maybe you're a church kid. You know the Bible really well. You've grown up doing all the right kind of things. Maybe some of you have made your way here this morning and you kind of relate more to the Samaritan woman. Maybe you've done some things already this weekend or during Welcome Week that kind of have brought a lot of shame. You, you feel like God might not want you. Well, whichever spot you might be in, I want to tell you that one, you need Jesus, and two, that he wants you. All right, and we're going to see that more and more as we come on here. You know, Jesus defies expectations of this woman by reaching out to her, by speaking to her, and by telling her that he even wants to offer her living water. And as Christians, we want to be people that model this same attitude that Jesus had, where he makes this wide offer of living water, whether it's to someone like Nicodemus or whether it's to someone like the Samaritan woman at the well, that we want to be people that offer the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody that we encounter. We need to cut across racial barriers, socioeconomic barriers, gender, age, whatever it may be, all these kind of things that our society does to divide itself. May we be people that just like reject all of that. And that understand that every single living, breathing person is in need of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's move on here in our story. John chapter 4, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I will stop there again. 
things just got real in this conversation, right? Like at first it was just kind of talking about having a, a drink of water, and, and now they've moved on to talking about this woman's sins, where to worship, how to worship, and Jesus being the Messiah, which was a long-awaited-for figure um, that anyone who knew the Old Testament scriptures would be looking for. And there's a lot to draw from this section, but the first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus offers to satisfy our eternal needs. Notice what he says to the woman. He offers her this special water so that she'll never thirst again, and he has her attention, right? She's like, oh, I, I want some of this, right? Like, give me some of this water so that I won't have to keep coming back to this well every day. That'd be nice, right? Not, especially if you had to trek out into uh, to a, a community well, bring your water back. That would be annoying. She would love to have something that would stop that. But you know, Jesus wasn't actually talking about physical water that would cure her physical thirst. He was using it as a metaphor to speak about something else. And it seems that it went a little bit over her head right now. Um, he wasn't offering a physical potion that could make her thirst go away forever. But instead, he was trying to get at her heart. He was trying to help her see that he offers eternal life and eternal satisfaction for our souls. And you know, I think that we can be like this woman a lot of the time though, right? Like so caught up in the daily needs that we have, what's right in front of us, that we never actually take time to think about the bigger stuff. Like I, I just think that's such a, a common trap that we fall into. And guys, while you are here in college, you are going to get inundated with so many opportunities. Like your classes are going to pick up, you're going to have a ton of assignments, you're going to have so many social opportunities. There's all sorts of stuff that's very easy to constantly distract yourself with. And I want to warn you against getting so busy that you never take time to actually think about what's going on in your soul and what's going to happen for eternity. It's very easy to get tunnel vision and just be completely consumed with whatever is directly in front of you. But I want to ask, man, what is it that could be more important than eternity? Right? Like I talk to so many people on campus that the, the main thing that they're thinking about is how to pass their class. Or the main thing that they're thinking about is how to get a girlfriend or, or whatever. And, and those are fine things. But man, is that really more important than eternity? Uh, so many people just put eternity on the back burner and say, well, whatever happens when I die, I guess I'll just figure it out when I get there. Well, guys, if you're reading the Bible, I say that's going to be too, too late by the time you get there. I encourage you right now to be people that are investing in the long term and not just getting caught up only in what you see right in front of you in the physical day to day. You know, the things that we can distract ourselves with or even occupy ourselves with, many of them are good, but none of them can satisfy the eternal needs that we have. And that brings me to my next point, which is that Jesus is the lone source of living water that can satisfy our needs for eternity. There's nothing else that can do this. And Callista already talked a little bit about this in her slice of life. But try as we may to satisfy ourselves, every other thing that we run to will eventually run dry. Just like the water that this woman was drawing from the well. She knew she was going to have to come back to it, right? It's not like she could just come to the well once and, and never come back. She knew that, yes, water will satisfy me for a little bit, but eventually I'll get thirsty again. And that's the only option we have when it comes to physical thirst. But with spiritual thirst, it's different. You know, Jesus says that he can offer us a water that satisfies for eternity. And I think that so often, rather than running to him for the true satisfaction that he can provide, we try to go to these other wells. 
Trying to say, hey, I know that I have something on my soul, some sort of yearning for something deeper, but I don't know how to satisfy it. And so I think there's three major places that we oftentimes run to that don't really satisfy. And the first is what I call the well of relationships. That seems to be what this woman was going after. Uh, it's a woman that had five husbands. She was with another guy now that wasn't her husband. I don't know her circumstances, why she had been with that many different men. But I can tell you that I think for a lot of us, this is what we do. We think that somehow if we can just find the right person, all will be right with our life. The hole that we feel on the inside is going to be able to be filled by having some sort of perfect relationship, but it never actually pans out that way. And guys, I can tell you relationships are a great thing. I've been married for nine years. My wife is awesome. I absolutely love my marriage, but she cannot be my God. And, and if I ever let her be my God, I am asking for disaster and disappointment in my marriage. What's so cool is that as we worship the Lord together, it frees us up to be able to, to be good husband and good wives to each other without having the crushing burden of trying to be somebody else's God, which is so often what we're looking for in relationships. You know, I think that another well that we oftentimes run to is what I call the well of gratification. And this is just that kind of idea of like, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. I'm seeking out pleasure. I'm seeking out comfort. Whatever I can get, right? To basically numb myself. So this is almost that kind of stereotypical, hedonistic uh, college lifestyle. I'm going to drink all the time. I'm going to party. I'm going to find sex. I'm going to do drugs. You know, whatever it may be, I'm going to try to just constantly engage myself with something that feels good so that I don't have to think about what's going on on the inside. There's a, a, many times I've gone down to Panama City Beach on spring break. And yeah, we, uh, our church has even taken a few trips down there. And uh, we'll, sometimes we'll do this thing where we just go out onto the strip at night. We'll go from like 9 p.m. until about 2 a.m. And just get into conversations with people. I've talked to, to many, many people in this situation. And, uh, you know, I, I talk to them about life and what their beliefs are and what they're pursuing. And uh, consistently I would ask them this question, uh, about the party lifestyle. I'd say, man, is this really satisfying? And remember, these are people that have driven from all over the country many hours to get down here to Panama City Beach, which was like one of the main hubs of coming and partying for spring break. Like, this is what they came for. And me, a stranger who's talking to them, consistently people were honest enough to tell me, no, it doesn't really satisfy. But yet they still found themselves caught in this continual cycle of not even really knowing how to get out of it. They didn't know what else there was to be offered. And man, what I want to tell you is like, Jesus is offering you something so much better than the well of gratification can offer. Try as we may to, to drink ourselves into satisfaction or have enough sex or anything like that, it's never going to be able to do what only Jesus can do for your soul. And, you know, I think for others of us, uh, we run to the well of gratification, but it just doesn't look as extreme. You know, if the well of gratification is all about comfort and pleasure, for some of us, it's just all we want to do is veg out and watch Netflix all the time. And we hope that that's going to cure our problems. Or we're just going to try and get away and have peace and quiet and, and away from all the people that are causing us problems. Whatever it may be, I think that if, if you are just trying to run to something that feels good for you to satisfy your soul, it's going to run dry eventually. And the final well that I think that people so often run to to try and get satisfaction for their soul is the well of achievement. And this is where you are going to try and uh, satis be satisfied be by being as successful as you can. So as a student, you're going to try and get a 4.0. You're going to try and land the best co-op that you can, the best job that you can. And none of those things are inherently bad, right? Like I, I hope that you guys achieve a lot and that you have great success. 
But if you're looking for that to be something that gives you like your validation as a person, where you can say, hey, I'm worth something because I was able to get this job or I was able to achieve these grades, then I'm telling you that's going to run empty too. You don't need anything more than the fact that God has created you in his image and that he has offered to adopt you as his child to tell you that you're valuable. Please don't look to try and see grades or money or, or job offers or anything like that to be what satisfies your soul because it's never going to be able to do it. You know, as I look at all of these wells, whether it's relationships or gratification or achievement, none of those things are inherently like bad. Like There are certain things within them that can be bad, but it's not bad to have a relationship. It's not bad to even do things that feel good as long as it's not crossing into sin. It's not bad to achieve things. But all of those things make terrible gods. They have to be secondary to the Lord because if they're what we're, we're pursuing above anything else, that's idolatry. And it's only going to lead to disappointment. Jesus is the lone source of living water. He's the only one that can fulfill our deep spiritual thirst for eternity. And you see that he even says this in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. You see, you, just can't, you can't just go anywhere for living water. If you knew, it, you have to come to Jesus to be able to receive this. You know, college is a time that you're going to get to make a lot of your own decisions for the first time. These are going to be years that are significant in shaping you into the person that you're going to be for the rest of your life. And that's why I love working with this church, working with college students. God did a ton in my life when I was in your spot. And I believe that he wants to do a ton in your life as well. And this is because of my fourth point, which is that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. You see, a lot of you guys, it looks like most of you, probably grew up here in the United States and uh, probably heard this at some point, this idea that God loves you, right? Maybe you even grew up singing songs about it. Um, but no matter how much you've heard this, I don't want it to just be white noise for you. Like, I want this to really sink in for you to know the gravity of what this is. I think it's easy for us to believe that God kind of tolerates us, right? Or that maybe that, that God pities us. But the idea that God actually loves us, I think is hard for us to actually grasp. I would bet this woman at the well had a hard time believing that. Right? Because I don't think there were very many people in her life that loved her very well. I said, we don't have that much info about her. All I know is that she had five husband that's a lot of failed relationships right that she, she wouldn't have been very well respected matter of fact she was out getting water at the well at noon why would you do that that's like one of the hottest parts of the day well in all likelihood she was doing that because she didn't want to be around all the other people that would go out to get water in the morning because she wouldn't have been a very well respected person in the town but look at what jesus does with her while she thinks that no one else wants to be with her, and that's why she's out there at the well by herself, Jesus initiates with her. And this is what God does with us. Matter of fact, look at what Jesus said in verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Don't let that slip past you. God is seeking worshipers, all right? Now, let me tell you something about God. He's almighty. He, he, he is eternal. He doesn't need anything else. He created us. We don't, he doesn't need to be served by human hands. 
He, he's eternally sufficient in himself, but yet he seeks worshipers. How awesome is that? That the, God is like way out of our league. Like if, I don't know if you've ever like wanted to date someone that was just kind of like way out of your league. God is way out of our league. And yet he's the one that's actually coming and seeking us. Jesus talks about this in Luke 19.10. He said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And guys, this is the good news of the gospel. The fact that we have a God that loves us enough to actually seek us out and to save us. You think, I, I think a lot of times we get it backwards about Christianity, right? I talk to a lot of people on campus that even tell me that they're Christians. But when I ask them what that means, it usually comes down to saying, well, it means I'm a good person. Like, I try to treat other people the way I want to be treated, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And let me tell you, if you're a Christian, you should be a good person. You should be someone who's treating others the way you want to be treated. Yes, amen, all that. But guys, that is not the essence of what it means to be a Christian. The essence of what it means to be a Christian is that you are someone who is saved by Jesus Christ because of the faith that you have put in him. And because of that, you've been forgiven of your sins and brought back to God. You see, the, the, the Christian understands that there is nothing that we do to work our way to heaven. We are saved by God's grace. This is the essence of Christianity. Pretty much every other religion is about the idea of how is it that we get to God? How is it that I can make myself a good enough person that I can work my way up into whatever version of paradise or heaven there is? But with the gospel, it's we aren't good people. Like, we know that we're in a spot, there's nothing that we could do to save ourselves. But God looks on us in our distress and in our sin and in our brokenness, and he says, I love you and I'm coming to rescue you. He is not an aloof, far-off God that sits up in his ivory tower and waits for us to figure it out to get to him. He says, I'm going to put on flesh and come to you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And not only am I going to put on flesh and, and come to you and walk with you and teach you, but even more so, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die on the cross. And that is so significant. Why? Because the penalty that we deserve for our sins is death. You see, we are all people that have sinned and offended a holy God. And, and God hates sin. Why? Because sin is what corrupts absolutely everything that he has made. And one day he's going to do away with it. Like one day all of creation is going to be restored and sin is going to be gone. But guess what? Before that day, judgment is coming. And we are going to have to answer for our sins. And every single one of us is guilty before God because of that. But in his love... Jesus said, because I want you to be with me, I will take on flesh and I will hang on that cross and I will let my blood pour out and I will pay the penalty of death that you owe. And so the wrath of God for our sin was put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And he rose from the dead three days later. And in that he showed that he conquered this, the, the penalty of sin. He conquered the power of death. And that all those who would put their faith in him will not be judged on our own righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ. He took our sin and he gave us his life. And in this we can be reconnected to God. And this is how we come to have eternal life. He's the only one that can offer this. You know, I... I I think so often we just get it wrong. We, we don't see the beauty of the gospel. We see Christianity as another version of self-help that's just trying to teach us how to be a good person that, teach, that, that helps other people and has good morals. And we lose the beauty of the gospel and the power of the God that loves us and rescues us and saves us. And so if, if you don't 
come away with anything else from this this morning, I hope that this, that gospel message sticks with you. That is at the core of who we are as a church. That is at the core of who I am as a man. I'm going to continue to preach it to my dying day. And, and I never want to stop being captivated by the fact that I serve a God who loves me enough to die for me. My favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wherever you are, whether you're Nicodemus and you think that, that you're, you're really, really good, or whether you're this Samaritan woman at the well who's had five husbands with another man and, and is afraid to even go to the well to see other people, wherever you are, you need Jesus. And he wants to save you. He is seeking you. The Father is seeking worshipers that will worship in spirit and truth. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he does that because of his love for you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him but have eternal life. It's the love of God that motivates him. And you know, this love is something that's, that's powerful. It's life-changing. It's more than just, let me give you a list of things that you can do to be a better person. It's truly transformative. It changes us into a new person. I think it's why in John 3, 3, when Jesus told Nicodemus that you actually have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. But when the gospel hits you and you come to understand the depravity of your sin and how helpless you are and what a great thing it is that God did and came to save you, that then he, you, you put your faith in him, he puts his Holy Spirit into you, and you start to become a new person. And this is something, this leads me to my final point, it shifts your priorities. The things that are important to you become different than what they used to be. You know, uh, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit in our story, but I'm, we're going to pick it up at verses 39 to 42. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see this woman who was coming to the well by herself, probably full of shame, full of guilt. When she encountered Jesus and came to see who he is, what did she do? She went back and she told everybody in the town about him. Didn't matter if she was disrespected or anything there. She was going to go and testify about the man that came and told her everything she had ever done. He was the Messiah that she was looking for. And if you have encountered Jesus, then, then man, I, it, the, he should be shifting your priorities. And I, I love what Callista was talking about even here in her slice of life. Where she's like, man, I'm excited because this is the first time I'm going to the year all in for Jesus. Like, she's got it. She's understood my priorities have been shifted to realize that all this other stuff that used to be the most important to me, all these other wells I used to run to, that's not what I'm about anymore. Like, I'm about Jesus Right? And, and you see this time and time with people that encounter him. This is why all the disciples were martyred for their faith. And you know, I don't know what God has in store for you. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. But whatever it is, uh, Paul talks about, how I don't live for myself anymore. The love of Christ controls me. And, and man, that is my prayer that for us collectively as a church, that we would be a body of people that are controlled by the love of Christ. That no longer for ourselves, but live for him who died for us and rose again on our behalf. And so as I close here, we're going to be moving into another time of worship.
And I want you to be thinking about this, this idea of wells, okay? The, the fact that uh, the, the offer of living water is wide. Wherever you are, whatever background, I don't care what skin color you are, what country you come from, uh, what your religious background is even, whatever it is, Jesus wants to know you, and he, he wants you to know him. The offer of living water is wide. I want you to think about your eternal needs, not just getting caught up in everything that's right in front of you, but what, what is it that's, that is your deepest need? Jesus is there to fulfill it. That he's the lone source of living water. Maybe you need to just meditate on that and think about the fact that, man, I've been going to so many other things to find eternal satisfaction, but there's only one source that I can get it, and I need to get serious about my relationship with Jesus. I can tell you that as I did that, my life actually started to change. And, and I'm, I'm not saying it's always easy. Like, taking up your cross is a daily thing, right? But, but man, the, the wonders that Jesus can do for, for, for fighting against the anxiety and the fear and the depression, all these kind of things we struggle with so much, like, like he wants you to bring that to him. And, and maybe you just need to realize the fact that God loves you dearly. I don't know if some, some of you, maybe you heard the gospel for the first time this morning. Just the fact that there is a God that loves you, that created you, that wants to forgive you of sin through the sacrifice of Jesus. Like, maybe you need to meditate on that. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about that. About, man, how is it that I even, like, put my faith in Jesus and start following him? Maybe for some of you, you're Christians, and, and you came here, you're, you're excited about Jesus, and, and you just need to be thinking about, man, my life need to shift so that I can be someone who is a, is a more faithful follower of Christ. Man, I hope that we're able to walk in this journey together because I believe that God is powerful and, and that he can do amazing things in us and through us. And so I look forward to seeing what he's going to do on this campus this year. Uh, we're going to pray and enter into a time of worship. And I also want to say, if you feel like you need prayer personally, there's going to be a prayer team. They're going to have neon green lanyards around their neck and they're going to be stationed all around the, the edges of the sanctuary here. If you need prayer for anything, if that's... Uh, something I talked about this morning, you say, hey, I want to come into a relationship with Jesus, then, you know, go get prayer. But also, just even if it's, hey, I'm really stressed about my classes tomorrow. I'm, I'm afraid that I don't know anyone. I'm having a hard time transitioning here to UC. Or even maybe you're doing great, and you're like, hey, just pray for me to be able to be a witness in my classes. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need prayer for something, there are people around this room that would absolutely love to pray for you. And so at any point during this next worship set, if you need that, just feel free to, to, to go find them and say, hey, will you pray for me? If they've got the lanyard on, they volunteered to say, yes, I want to. Um, so let's pray together, and then the, the worship team can come up. God, we love you, and um, I just thank you that you love us, and that you are as good as you are. I thank you that uh, you are worthy of every bit of worship. You're worthy of every song that we're going to sing here, and, and every song that uh, we don't have time to sing, or we don't have the strength to sing, God. I know that there's a uh, angels and, and, and creatures and elders and everything worshiping you before your throne. And uh, I just thank you that we get to join in that chorus here, Lord. So I pray that, that our songs would be pleasing to you, that this wouldn't be a time of, uh, of just, oh, we do this because it's how we end church, but um, th that, that our hearts would really sing to you, Lord, that our worship would be authentic, that you would be pleased, God. I pray that if there's, there's sin that needs to be repented of in this room, that that would happen. And God, I pray that you would empower us to be people uh, that just go out and carry your gospel into every place that we go. Um, thank you that you're with us, Lord. We love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.
You guys can stand up and join us.